0: Welcome to the Christian Drummers Podcast, discussing the art of drumming to the glory of Almighty God. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Howdy friends, it is a glorious time to be a drummer in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to serve the second Adam who has redeemed us and restored us to the position for which he created us. And we're going to continue talking about that in our Bible study segment as we discuss Dominion and Drumming, Part 2, and what it means to work in the, as it were, Garden of Rhythm. Now, that garden sometimes has weeds in it, so we're going to talk in our practical segment about dealing with church gear. And then finally, in our Fundamentals segment, we're going to continue talking about the basic rhythms of the music that we play and how we can improve in our ability to play them. So let's begin. Okay, to continue with our Drumming and Dominion series, I'm going to do what I did last time and simply read my second column in that series that I wrote for HM Magazine, and then we'll flesh it out a bit with some more thoughts. Drumming in Dominion, Part 2. Last issue, I began to put forth some foundational principles which will guide us in the pursuit of playing the drums to the glory of God. We will continue that process by considering some observations about the nature of our task. Remember that any human endeavor is an extension of the dominion mandate given to our father Adam, reiterated to Noah, and restated by the Lord Jesus. So then, taking up the art of drumming is one way some of us are called to subdue the earth. It is therefore our responsibility to diligently work at perfecting our craft and to play well. Now God planted a garden eastward in Eden and made every tree grow in it that is pleasant to the eye and good for food. He then took the man he had created and placed him in the garden to tend and keep it. Now tending and keeping implied development. Adam needed to learn about each kind of tree, their fruits, their seasons, requirements, and so forth. Further, he would be required to work daily, applying his knowledge, growing in skill and wisdom, making the garden more and more beautiful. Having been commanded to multiply and to fill and subdue the earth, it is implicit that Adam was to spread this task outward from the garden into all the world. Remember all of this was prior to the fall. Having been restored in Christ, We who through God's mercy are regenerate have no reason to believe that our lives here and in the hereafter should not involve tending and keeping. We need to study this garden of rhythm in which we have been placed, learn the lay of the land and the kinds and seasons of the trees, and work diligently to keep everything in order, ever striving to improve our skills and please God by making the garden more beautiful. How are your skills? What is the extent of your knowledge? Are there corners of the garden you have neglected? Parts you've never seen? How often are you out there getting your hands dirty? Meditate on these things and get ready to work next time. So that was the column. Let's kind of um, explore some of those ideas a little bit. So God planted the garden. We tend to overlook that, but that's what the text tells us. God planted the garden, then he put Adam in it. He introduced Adam to the idea of ordering and beautifying the world. So as Adam began that task, he didn't start with some kind of you know magical knowledge of how to do everything and, and do it perfectly. He would continually learn and he would improve on. And he would apply his own creativity to the task. Remember, God made us sub-creators. We don't make things out of nothing. Obviously, we have no power for that. But we imitate God. And one of the ways that we imitate God is by being creative. So Adam would apply his creativity to gardening as he continued to do that. And he was told to multiply. He was told to fill and subdue the earth. So he would be the one passing that knowledge on to his progeny. Now since this was before the fall, as I pointed out, we can assume that things like work and development and growth are not bad and they're not consequences of being um, fallen. They're consequences of being finite, but they're not consequences of being fallen. Okay, and we can also expect in the world to come, you know, we kind of have this idea that we're going to go to heaven as disembodied spirits, and we're just going to sit there and look at Jesus all the time and not really do anything, but you know, maybe we'll sing you know, or something like that. But again, that's not what the Scriptures teach us. Our goal is to be—not our goal, our hope is to be resurrected in physical bodies on this physical world, and we're going to do things. Adam did things in the state of perfection before he fell— We will do things in our state of perfection after we've been restored. And there's no reason to assume that we're just going to continue in, you know, just one kind of— I don't want to say one state because that might get a little theologically squirrely. But, um, you know, we will still continue to develop and grow and learn things and do things, and we will work. You know, the curse was not that Adam would work. The curse was that it would be hard for him to work. So we can assume that in the world to come, we'll still be doing these things. So that means that now, you know, we can expect to work, to have to learn more, to have to develop, and to have to improve in our ability to do our tasks, right? Now, Adam had been given an aesthetic standard, That's a touchy subject, and I could probably flesh that out over a few podcasts, but think about that. God made Adam, and then God created the garden, and then God put Adam in the garden. So here, Adam, you're in the middle of this brand new garden. Well, he would look around, and okay, God planted this. It was arranged, you know, one assumes, in a way that God found aesthetically pleasing. Right, so Adam had therefore been given an aesthetic standard, so he would always evaluate his work in terms of it, and by conversing with the Lord about it. Because remember, they they spoke at that those times, so uh, the Lord would be teaching him this is what beautiful means, and as Adam had ideas, okay, this this will improve the garden or you know, I I tended over here, or as I spread the garden out, I made a new section to the garden. What do you think, Lord? He would be evaluating everything he did according to the Lord's standards. He would also evaluate his own skills in terms of those standards. How well can I imitate what God has done? Am I um, equipped enough to be able to continue to follow the standard that I've been shown? And if not, what do I need to gain in order to be equipped to do the task that the Lord has given me to do. And um, there's actually kind of a beautiful way of thinking of what it would have meant and what it will mean to have diversity and division of labor as he had more and more children and taught them gardening, as it were, and they spread out into the earth and everybody brought their own creativity and skills and filled in maybe those gaps That Adam didn't have. So uh, again, he would be evaluating his his, uh, aesthetics and he would be evaluating his skills and his abilities in terms of what God had shown him. So again, that's huge and we could think about that for a long time. And I have much to say about Christian aesthetics, but it's kind of outside the scope of what we're doing today. But these ideas give us an orderly way to think about what our talents are here for and why we're working to improve. Okay, We often settle for, well, I can do the things that they ask me to do, so I must have what I need. Well, maybe that's even true, but then that means we just need to expand our idea about what do they need, what needs to happen, how am I equipped, how am I not equipped, And I should be developing both my ideas about beauty and my ideas about skill and my ideas about what I'm doing as I become a better drummer in terms of what God's revealed and then kind of consider the garden that we're in, Um, whether that's the style of music that you're playing, um, whether that's the the role that the leadership of your worship band is asking you to perform um, whether that's the environment in which you do it which we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes um, or whether it's your own creativity your own likes your own um, original compositions or things like that you need to be examining that as if it's a garden and is there some part of the garden that i haven't seen or have neglected is there some corner where there's a new species of plant I haven't yet discovered, and okay, here it is, and now I have to observe it, and I have to learn new things about it. Um, That can mean new styles. That can mean new sounds. That can mean new um, rhythms, new um, ethnic rhythms. It could mean, um, well, it it could even mean things like Is there some facet of what I already do that I haven't learned about yet? You know, um, we could get into this all day. But anyway, these are the things that I would like you to be thinking about. In what way can you improve your little corner of the garden and um, gain the skills that you need to be uh, better equipped to tend and to keep and to defend it? So let's think about that. And then next time we'll talk about how to go about acquiring those tools. Okay, let's talk about church gear. Now, whether you play in worship bands or whether you play original music in the churches or if you travel doing itinerant things, You know that you're going to play a bunch of different kinds of drums. Every church usually has some kind of house drum set. It could be anything from a kit that they've purchased for the band or the orchestra. It could be something for the youth group, or it could be some faithful member's personal kit who plays there every week, right? Right. And these things can take any kind of form. It can be electronic drums of various stripes. It can be the most entry-level budget drum set known to man. Or it could be some of the most high-end gear you'll ever play on. And you have to be ready for all of it. And you have to be ready for all the problems that come along with those different types of sets. But also things that can happen to any drum set. Um... It's sad, but in my experience, one of the first problems we're going to run into is that of poor maintenance. It could be everything from, uh, well, I always just assume that the heads are trashed. The heads are more often than not completely trashed, right? So every drum set I ever play on needs new heads, and uh, <laughs> unless I, me or somebody else have just changed them. Um, but beyond that, It could be everything from just, you know, the drums are dirty and not taken care of in that way, or there are broken pieces and things that just don't work or in bad repair or are just rigged up somehow, um, that sort of thing. So let's talk about that. But I want to preface that discussion by saying that it shouldn't be like that. And um, I want to encourage you, and I'll, I'll talk about this a little more as we wrap this segment up. I want to encourage you not to let things like that happen, okay? Um, One of the best examples we can have about musical instruments in the scriptures is that David had fine instruments made for the worship of his day. Um, You may not have noticed this in in your reading, but David was a liturgical innovator in that he introduced music into the worship of the tabernacle. We don't have any record of there being singing before that. But he introduced music. But not only did he introduce music, he had fine instruments made. And those instruments were kept all the way through until at least the time of Nehemiah. We don't know if they persevered after that. But uh, think about that. We're talking a lot of time between when they were made and when they were still being used. Um, The best uh, analogy I've ever heard in talking about those instruments is think about it as if your local church had a Stradivarius that had been handed down from one violinist to the other to make music in the church, and that's the way to think about these instruments. They obviously had been well taken care of and were highly prized. Um, now, I think that also says something about you know buying just the, the cheapest drums we can find because we're trying to save money— I think we should have quality instruments in the church. I don't think we necessarily have to have, you know, world-class, the best we can get. Um, That may not be good stewardship of our funds, but we should have professional quality, well-made, good-sounding instruments. But more importantly than that, those who play them ought to take care of them, right? Okay, but let's talk about some of the challenges about when that doesn't happen. The biggest problem you're ever going to face, obviously, is mechanical failure. Um, stripped hardware. Stripped hardware is the bane of my existence. I play on so many different kits. Even in one week, I'll play on at least three different drum sets at a church. Usually four. And... Um, each one has, okay, this stand doesn't work, you know, this stand is kind of rigged up with memory locks and and you can't really move it much or anything because it's the threads have been stripped on you know, dang near everything that can be screwed down because everybody gets it in their head that they have to crank down on hardware to make it stay in one place and guys drum hardware is not made to have to have that done to it, it it's made to grip you know, the cymbal stands made to grip the tube and it just needs to be snugged up a little bit. You don't have to crank down on it. I've actually had to carry pliers so that I can unscrew wing nuts that some guy is just, you know, cranked into oblivion. But that ruins the gear. It ruins the gear and, and uh, you know, frankly, if you're playing so hard that that it has to be like that, then you're hitting too hard and you need to learn how to play, you know but beyond that um, we're going to run into all this and how do you deal with that how do you deal with like a snare stand that doesn't raise and how do you deal with a pedal that you know um, isn't really responding the way you need it to how do you deal with the fact that the hi-hat clutch isn't really a hi-hat clutch anymore because they've lost all the washers and parts to it how do you deal with cymbals and toms that you can't really place where you want and You know, kind of as a corollary to that, is it in a bubble such that you can't really move things around too much? Well, the main thing that I make sure I can do is do I have kick, snare, and hi hat in a functional place that works for the way that I play? You know, And, and seat height. Seat height figures into that too because oh boy, have I run into some bad drum thrones. But if I can have what I need simply to keep time and do that comfortably and well and, and have it not affect my ability to do that, man, that's a win. And I start with that. Then it becomes about comfort. For example, um, I share the main set at Houston's First Baptist Church with my good friend Isaiah Skill. And... Um, I I like things flatter than he does and I like things higher than he does. And we just have a little detente where we simply can adjust to what we do. And I'll do that for comfort. As long as as long as I have the ability and the time to do it, I'll flatten the toms. I'll, you know, raise the floor tom up. I'll put things where I want them to be and he'll put them where he wants them to be. But if you find yourself in a situation where that's not possible, then Like I said, I want that kick, snare, and hat and seat height where I can function and I'll deal with everything else, and I often do. So that's our first way to deal with that, and um, let me dovetail off of that and talk about setup courtesy. The other kind of detente that uh, we've arrived at at Houston's First and I think that I've also achieved at the Ark Church and (laughs) some of the other places that I've played is, you know. If somebody is playing there more often than you, or if this is somebody's personal drum set, and even if you're the one who plays all the time, but other people are going to share the drum set with you, let's talk about being courteous in the way that we set up. You want to find some kind of common position of everything so that it doesn't all have to get Rearranged. I think of this time that um, a worship band came through at Houston's First, and the guy literally took everything out of their drum bubble, you know, it's on a riser, it's like a little thing on a riser, so a guy took everything out, made them go find some other gear for him to select from, set it up in a completely opposite way from the way the rest of us were playing those drums, and then got up and left, you know, at the end of the gig. Well, I wasn't the next guy that had to play it, fortunately, but, you know, whoever's coming along after him has to completely reset everything. And you don't want to be that guy. And you certainly don't want to have to deal with the aftermath of that guy. So what we need to do when we share drum sets or when we play a drum set once or twice it's not our own is just deal with where everything is and get it comfortable for you in that context. You know, You don't need to rearrange all the stands. You don't need to move the bass drum around. You don't need to do that. Get yourself to where you can fulfill your function in a comfortable way and leave it at that. And everything else that would be more extreme, you know, save that for your own drum set and your own setup at your own show, in my opinion. That's the way to deal with that. Okay, now care of the gear. Um, again, we're gonna run into a lot of hardware that flat out doesn't work. Part of, uh, part of dealing with that is understanding how a lot of hardware actually does work. I think I think there's a lack of knowledge about that. Um, take your stands apart and learn how they work. you know that way you'll learn how to deal with them. If something's stripped, how can you uh, use memory locks or whatever to get things into the right position? But if we learn how things really work, then we don't have to go to extremes to adjust them to position things. And uh, man, I, I sure run into a lot of that. Now, I spoke about how I how I basically always find drum heads that are in bad shape, right? Well, having a decent knowledge of tuning is going to show you how to deal with that, too. Um, I'll come in and I'll hit something and I'll just be like, really? So I have to know, okay, what is necessary to make this sound like what they want it to sound like and be playable by me? And sometimes those things are in tension. Um, Everybody these days wants the snare drum that sounds like a pillow, but sometimes a snare drum that's tuned like a pillow is kind of difficult to play marchy kind of snare drum things on, right? So you have to hit a balance of that, and you have to know how to achieve a sound like that from your snare drum and still make it playable and comfortable for you. And likewise for the toms and um, for the bass drum. Now, tuning is a gigantic subject, of course, and one of the... You know, sad realities is you get good at it by doing it a lot. So, practice tuning your drums and practice tuning them regularly so that when you find yourself behind a drum set that sounds horrible, has heads that are going to be very hard to deal with, you have the skills and the knowledge necessary to make them playable for you and to make them make the best sound that they can. And sometimes that's all you have to settle for is, well, this is all I'm going to get out of this floor, Tom. Sorry, you know, it sounds as good as possible. Um, I would also point out that, um, in in a non-complaining way, if there are problems, raise that with whoever's in charge. They have a budget, they need to take care of their gear, but maybe they don't even know. Um, again, a lot of the drum sets that I play are tucked away in some aquarium, you know, so nobody ever really knows what's wrong with them because, out of sight, out of mind. So if if a head's cracked, if uh, a symbol's cracked, if a stand is stripped out, point that out to the person in charge who can um, do something about that and offer to help. You know, if the parts come in, you'll replace them. If the new heads come in, you'll change them. Um, you'll just make it easier on yourself and on everybody else. But then finally, again, the way that we help eliminate these problems for one another is by submitting to one another. You know, um, I don't want to make life difficult for my friend Isaias or anybody who's going to play after me. Um, Anybody that I'm going to share a drum set with or anybody who might sub for me or anybody who might play during the week at some other kind of uh, service I want them to just be able to come in and have what they need and make good sounds. You know, I want to submit to their needs. I want to submit to the decisions that the leadership of the music and possibly the production guys have, you know, made concerning how the drums are going to sound, where they're going to be placed, that sort of thing. I might not like it and I might even have something to say about that, but ultimately I'm not the pr- I'm not the person in authority to um, make those calls, so I need to kind of be humble about that and, again, just make myself comfortable and do the best that I can. So let's move on from grousing about church gear and talk some more about, you know, how to play it better, okay? Okay. Okay, moving on to our fundamentals segment. I'm going to continue building off of what we did last week where we learned the basics of reading music, what the different kinds of notes are, and what they sound like. Um, I'm going to move on from that into what I call the basic rhythms. Now, these are the fundamental subdivisions of every popular style of music that you're ever going to play. Chances are most of you will never play anything not made from these basic rhythms. So, in order to improve our timekeeping and our fills and our knowledge of what we're doing, we're going to practice our execution of these basic subdivisions and really get the timing of them under our belt in every way possible so that when we play things that are made from them, It'll feel good. We'll already kind of be conversant in what we're doing. So let's just go down the list. I'm putting the handout for this on my website, johnnydrums.com, with this episode of the podcast. So download that worksheet and um, listen along. Obviously, the most basic rhythm that we're going to play is the quarter note. So that's just going to be one note per beat. And it simply sounds like this. Now, the next subdivision is going to be playing eighth notes. And as we heard last week, we're simply dividing that quarter note into two. So we have uh, everything on the numbered beats. And then we have what we say, and, one, and, two, and. That sounds like this. Now the next basic rhythm is the eighth note triplet. There are all kinds of triplets because a triplet is simply um, playing three notes in the space of two and in this case these are eighth note triplets you can tell because they're bracketed together with a three above them so for every beat we're going to subdivide into three there's a lot of different ways of counting this but the most simple way is simply to say one triplet two triplet three triplet four triplet that sounds like this The next subdivision is dividing into four, and that doubles up every eighth note. So for every eighth note, we'll have two beats, or two notes, excuse me, and for every quarter note, we'll have four. Um, The most typical way that you will count sixteenth notes is like this. One E and a, two E and a, and so forth. They sound like this. Now, for whatever reason, we do not normally subdivide the beat into five or quintuplets. I like them. I like the way that feels and nothing feels like that, but we don't. So the next subdivision we're going to look at, the next basic rhythm, is to divide the beat into six. These are called sextuplets. Um, You can also think of it as two sixteenth note triplets, and that means that you could count it two different ways. You could think of it as a triplet built on every eighth note. So you would have one triplet and triplet, two triplet and triplet, three triplet and triplet. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is you could double every note of an eighth note triplet. So you could count one triplet and then put an and in between them. 1 and trip, and let and, 2 and trip, and let and, 3 and trip, and let and, 4 and trip and let and. So we have 6 notes on every beat and that sounds like this. Finally... The basic rhythm that you're going to play, and you're probably not even going to play this very much unless you're rolling, is the 32nd note, dividing the beat into eight. Again we don't normally divide the beat into seven or septuplets, but again I really like that, but we don't. So dividing the beat into eight is simply doubling up sixteenth notes. This usually happens at a fast enough rate that there really isn't a way to count it. Some have tried, but it's not practical. And this introduces the idea of keeping track of half. You will never get so fast that you can't keep track of half of something. So, we're going to count sixteenth notes, one, e, and a, but for every one of those, we're going to put a note in between it, and so it's... It's going to happen so fast you couldn't say like one and E and, 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 you know, you can't do that. So we're going to think one E and uh, two E and, uh, but you're really going to play that, 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 Okay, so now we know what the basic rhythms sound like, but how do we practice playing them? Well, what I have my students do is take the idea of getting, getting uh, comfortable executing each one of these rhythms to a metronome slowly and accurately with good technique in every conceivable way they could be played between your four limbs. And so you'll see at the bottom of the worksheet that I have listed six limb pairs. That means I could play 16th notes between my two hands. I could play 16th notes between my two feet. But I could also play them on my right side, going from right hand to right foot. On my left side, going from left hand to left foot. I could crisscross going from right hand to left foot and I could crisscross going from left hand to right foot. I wanna practice every single one of those so that I gain equal control with all my limbs and equal accuracy with all my limb pairs because we're all different and one pair you might execute better than another and so on. And really those six pairs are actually 12 because you could go in either direction. So what you wanna practice is each one of those rhythms with each one of those limb pairs for a lot of repetition with each one at a low metronome setting say between 40 and 60 beats a minute until you can execute them accurately consistently in every single direction through your limb pairs this will give you a very good sense of timing a very good sense of balance and it will address those issues of having a weak hand or a weak foot um, you want to count out loud as you practice these, and you want to watch the the limbs that are working with each one of those limb pairs, and take them about a week at a time. And I and I would suggest that you start with quarter notes, even though that's very simple, just to get a handle on um, you know practicing in all these different directions and. Get used to the repetition and the watching and the counting out loud and all that sort of thing. So do that, and next time we will talk about then how we start to break up those basic rhythms. Okay, now let's wrap up. In closing, I would like to talk about a couple of different things. Again, I would really love to hear from y'all. You can email me, johnny at johnnydrums.com. With questions, comments, concerns, and let me know um, what you think. I want to continually improve this, but I also want to address the things that are of interest to you. So I need to know what those are, right? So email me and let's uh, figure out some ways to connect with one another and improve this and make it more communal. And you can also help by... Getting on iTunes and rating the podcast and reviewing the podcast. That helps me show up in the charts. And share every episode. Share it with your drummer friends and share it with your non-drummer friends. Maybe somebody will find it interesting. Maybe somebody will be highly offended and we can create some controversy because I kind of like that sort of thing. <laughs> All right, now um, also. If, uh, if you find that the fundamentals section is helping you or you have some questions about that, I am available for lessons. I teach over Skype almost as often as I teach in person, and I've been a drum teacher for a long time, and I love it, and if I can help any of y'all, I would consider it an honor. So um, reach out through the website, again, johnnydrums.com, and um, contact me about that. I want to give a shout out to my friends, the Sammy and Mike Worship Lab. No, um, my friends Sam Jones and Michael Brady have a wonderful podcast called The Worship Lab, and you and all your Christian musician friends ought to be listening to it because they are really deep thinkers about what they do. They ask wonderful questions about what they do, and um, when they have guests, which they do often, they really ask intelligent questions that lead to some really great discussion. So you should check that out. I like giving them a hard time. Okay, so that was a long one. I'm looking forward to the next one, and I promise it won't take so long. I'm you know, kind of doing this around all my gigs, and it's been kind of crazy the past couple weeks. But um, I think we're going to be on a schedule from here on out. So please subscribe and share. All right, my friends, let's close in prayer. Almighty God, who gave our father Adam the task of beautifying your creation, grant us, redeemed by the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, to fulfill that task by the power of the Spirit, that your glory would be magnified on the earth, through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.